Biggest Bad Boys Podcast presents Matt Michaels People I Don't Hate Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here and uh, today the Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting are happy to bring you one of my favorite guys from Tag Team Wrestling one of the Godwins, Henry Old Godwin How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Matt. Nice to be with you today. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while, and uh, I know I've, I've been out of town and running around and been busy here on the farm, but we finally hooked up. Yeah, I let me ask you about that. So I grew up in the city um, and never really had exposure till I was in college um, to what it's like to you know live and work on a farm. Uh, you know, I had a lot of friends in Central Illinois who were doing that for you what is the um the benefits of having you know your house on a farm oh the just the sanity uh country living you can't beat it you know and uh we're raising hogs we got chickens uh i like knowing what i eat nowadays we don't put no junk in the hogs so uh I'm not going to sell nothing to nobody that I wouldn't eat. Sure. And just, just freedom, you know, fishing and hunting and shooting guns and hitting the woods in the mud, <laughs> getting muddy. and stuff. I, I'm old, but I still like doing that stuff. <laughs> uh, do, do you, did you ever, um, do you have any uh, type of vehicle that you do stuff like go mudding in? Oh, yeah. We got a uh, Cub Cadet side by side. Ooh. I use it every day here on the farm, but if we have to, you know, go in the woods, it's got a winch so we can utilize it many ways. That's amazing. Um, and did you grow up on a farm? Yes and no. I grew up in uh, Northern Virginia. Okay. But uh, all my family's from West Virginia. So in the summers and hunting season, I would always come down here and hunt and fish and ride motorcycles and horses. And man, I, I'm so glad to be here now all the time. <laughs> um, what's, what is your biggest, um, uh, animal, uh, that you've hunted? Are you, are you t- typically into deer hunting or what, um, uh, what do you guys look for when you go out? Uh, lots of deer hunting, turkey hunt and squirrel hunt, but mostly deer. Uh, now we're having a, having trouble with bears. So I may, have, I may have to get a couple bear tags and start hunting them. <laughs> One was in the side-by-side a month ago, eating old bread out of the back of my side-by-side, about a 275, 300 pound bear. Wow. Uh, um, out of, out of the crew, out of the, uh, you know, the guys like Taker and Godfather, who was the least into that type of lifestyle? I'm imagining it's it's Godfather, right? Well, he loves guns. He's got a shitload sure. of guns. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Phineas, for sure. <laughs> the Beach Boy, Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he could kill a deer. 
Well, you know, that's a, that's something that's fascinating to me. You know, you have uh, a guy like you, a guy like him. Is when they brought him in, did he have to adapt to you know going from being kind of that beach guy, you know, and everything he grew up around to being the um, the slop farmer with the you know with a bucket of slop and you know. What was that dynamic for you guys to kind of start clicking together as a team? Oh, my God. Me and Tex hit it off. The <laughs> very first night, Dusty put us together and introduced us, you know. It was in Georgia, um, Gainesville, Georgia, at TV. And, oh, it was a crazy night the first night we were together. I, I won't go into it right now, but I knew after that night we were going to be – brothers forever and, and we have been we haven't had a crossword with each other and you know we'd do anything for each other well I, i'm like that with a lot of the boys you know it just it was just a good brotherhood we had on the road and even off the road sure um but phineas, but phineas went to school went to college in salem west virginia okay so he was already turning into a little hillbilly redneck you know <laughs> So, and he, he dipped all the time. So he was really a country boy. So it, it was easy for me and him to get along. You know, yeah. we just, we hit off, hit it off quick. <laughs> and when you, when you, uh, when you see him today, um, uh, is it like the same thing for, you know, those of us who um, have those, you know, friends who, are still in our lives, but at a certain point where, you know, really as close as a husband wife type of feel to it. Do you guys automatically gravitate to, you know, Hey, you know, of course, how you doing, how things holding up? Hey, remember that time we uh, did this? <laughs> Is there a lot of that old? Uh... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, I mean, we forget a lot. So when we get together, we try to, you know, gouge each other and get stories and stuff. And, and he tells me, he goes, damn, I can't believe you remembered that. Or damn, I can't believe you still got that. Cause I keep all my wrestling shit. Ah. I was posting some the other last night, some stuff I'd had, but yeah, we, uh, the funny thing, you know, we just did a signing in Minnesota, a virtual right. signing a couple months ago. And, uh, when we seen each other, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's a it's a warm feeling we have, and we just pick up right where we left off, you know. But uh, like the promoters will say, "Yeah, we get you a room," you know, and you know whatever. Texas say, "Well, we just need one room, double beds," because I mean we don't see each other that much, and we you know we lived together for years yeah. when we were WCW, and so. Uh, it's good to get together and reminisce and tell old stories. And we, he'll pull up some old matches. We'll watch in the hotel room. You know, it, it's the same feeling. We're just getting older. Yeah. <laughs> Slow, <laughs> slowed down a little bit. <laughs> um, speaking of that, um, and I know having been on the road myself for different productions, and um, I know that um, – man, the adrenaline you have going when you finish something at, 
9 or 10 p.m., the first thing is, okay, we're back at the hotel. Let's go down to the bar. Are you guys still uh, at the point where you can still kick back uh, enough brews to just kind of, uh, you know, start remembering stories the way they, uh, you know, come to you when you, you've had a couple of beers? Oh, yeah. And it's usually a couple of beers, a couple of shots of Jack because, you know, the BSK has to live up to that reputation. <laughs> it's like Survivor Series when I had to put a couple of us to bed. So, uh, but it was good. We'll get into that. But yeah, it's, we still, me and Tex, we'll go down when I like these signings. When we get done, we go to the bar, order food, and have a couple drinks and start telling old war stories. <laughs> do you think, do you think now, you know, obviously when you guys would go out and obviously people could recognize you when you were, you know, in the heyday of the career, now that you're doing the signings and stuff, you get to kind of sit in a restaurant or in a bar and drink and tell stories. Are people still recognizing you guys or is it now kind of people looking and going, you know what? Those guys have to be something, but I can't quite place who they are or why they're together. Yeah, we get that a lot. Um, especially, I mean, when you, when we were, you know, we're running together back in the day, we, everybody was over 300 pounds. You know, Yoko was six. Uh, me, Taker, Phineas, Rakishi, uh, Godfather. I mean, yeah. Paul, everybody, even the managers were over 300 pounds. <laughs> so it's hard, you know, but, but now when we're together, it's, it's like, yeah, a lot of, do or what did they used to do we get that a lot but after the survivor series and everybody finally seen us you know it'd been quite a few years since we've been on tv or anything so right uh, it was nice to hang out with everybody I, you know the bsk got to do our thing the night before and paid for it the next morning but everything <laughs> turned out good uh you know we brought nice dark clothes for undertaker and then vince wanted us to wear the overalls so two hours before we go live he's got people out in uh orlando looking for overalls for two big hillbillies but yeah great time great time um you know when you get a chance to do something like that um and not only are you seeing you know, BSK and friends and faces from that era of you being there, but also you're getting, you know, a, a totally new mix in of young talent who either might've seen you guys when they were little or, you know, through the network have watched your work. What was it like for you having the newer generation of wrestlers, you know, backstage? Was there, any attempt from people to, you know, introduce themselves, talk to you a little bit, pick your brain a little bit. How was that feeling just kind of being um, essentially senior representatives of, you know, the era that those kids grew up with? Yeah. We talked to people. I always get that. Yeah. I watched you when I was little and now they're superstars. So it's funny, you know, but uh, yeah, some of the people, uh, 
you know, it's a big night. People are nervous and don't really want to, you know, be approached or have to approach some of us. So, but some of the guys like MVP, I've known him for a long time and, and his crew, you know, we got to talk to them a little bit. And of course, Rakishi's twin boys were there. So always seeing them boys. And, uh, but it was good. You know, I, I got to hang out with Hunter and we got to reminisce. (laughs) <laughs> Kevin, Matt, you know, there's all we're all w, WCW together, so right. I like seeing them them guys too. It's uh, it was a good time though, good night, and mankind, oh, you know, yeah. he was right there. <laughs> and what you know, when you think about when you think about those days uh, in WCW with guys like Kevin and uh, you know, uh, of course, Cactus was there and and Hunter was there. Um, did you at that point see either the talent in those guys or the, um, the willingness in those guys to absorb what was going on? Could you have seen where those careers would eventually go to by, you know, hanging out and working with and observing, you know, a number of those guys who went on to be bonafide hall of famers? Yeah, uh, because we were we were there the same time with Hunter. You know, we got let go the same time. And of course, oh, really? we went on up to WWF, and then Dennett, right. uh, well, Tex, he come up a year later. Right. But yeah, uh, and Kevin was just you know big, sexy, monstrous, uh, funny as hell. I've I've had some good times with Kevin for the last 25 years. So we go that far back. I could write a book just on the stories about Kevin. So, and I'm going to give a shout out to him and say Lake Tikikaka, Mississippi. So uh, anyway, yeah, but uh, in mankind, you could just tell Cactus was going to, he's just extraordinary, smart and spot on. Do you, did you ever see like in a guy like cactus one of the things that i think that that mick has been extraordinary at doing and that is when fans approach him whether it be at a signing or you know just at a theme park or something like that he is almost embarrassed that he's you know like he it doesn't seem like he ever feels like he's famous is that something that you know for for you and um and phineas that you guys felt as well is that you appreciated the attention but at the same time you're just doing your job and you know you just happen to be in a wrestling field as opposed to you know guys who are selling uh computers or you know is is was that a little odd for you guys to get used to is just having that fan interaction yeah it was and and I still pinch myself sometimes because just the stuff that we've been through and the stuff we got to do. And I mean, hell, we were on CMT with Cletus T. Judd made a video on about a John Michael Montgomery song. So you know, I, we did the video and we never really heard anything. And then we're on the road. And a couple months later, I, I'm calling home, checking on my kids and talk to my mom and dad. And, Mom says, you were just on CMT, you and 
Dennis in a Cletus T. Judd video. <laughs> so it's just stuff like that, stuff that we got to do. And, and the other talent, the other fields, the rock industry, the country music industry, which we had a blast meeting all just, you know, great people. And it was just a good yeah. experience. And, and all the traveling we did, you know, hell, I'm, I live in the mountains in West Virginia. I never would have went to India or South Africa or Germany five times and England five times. And so uh, we really are fortunate and blessed to have been able to do what we did. You know, on that notion of going to these different countries, um, was was that a kind of realization to you um, that there are certain comforts that, you know, come from your background of growing up, you know, that you somewhere in England or someone in, somewhere in Germany or India, you just appreciate those things a little bit more because it's such a different type of feel of society there. Yes, we are very blessed and should not take advantage of this country. And I'm telling you, places like India, we went over there to raise money for AIDS. And, you know, there's little kids standing there begging for water and fruit. And so some of us are giving this away and, and our guides are saying, don't do that, you know, but hell, come on, man. And uh, I've seen in Singapore, Manila, people living in, on the streets in boxes and, and you got these fancy marbled hotels and then you got people living on the streets. So, um, but I mean, I know not too far from you, from you out in Cali having a little trouble with that kind of stuff out there. And it's, yeah. it's sad. It's really sad and it, it's a little scary, but uh, yeah, yeah. We're, it's uh, we're, we live in a good place. We're blessed. Yeah, it's interesting that you, because as you were describing that, that's where my thought went. I, you know, I was in California for, I was in the LA area for 20 years. And right before I took off in 2017, um, where I was, which was um, kind of in the North Hollywood area, you started seeing on a regular basis, these tents popping up. And uh, one of my friends has a, uh, a house that is close to the farmer's markets, you know, so right by CBS studios, you would think, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this is a, you know, a safe, a very good area. And it's been overrun because there are so many people on the streets. So, you know, I think that we kind of are so lucky and yet we kind of forget that. Yeah. It's scary because there's, there are situations where this is going on. Um, when you look at your um, your ability that you went out and you were able to, you know, successfully have a career, what do you think you offer the success to? Was it your hard work? Was it your your ability to, you know, listen, learn, and adapt in the situations that you know people were booking you into? Um, or was it just one of those things where, you know, it just kind of came fluid for you and just, 
you know, you were able to uh, look at it as, hey, I'm doing something I like to do. I'm saving some money. And, you know, the next phase, were you already thinking the next phase of your life while you were in the prime of your career? Well, yeah, like, you know, uh, Dusty give us our start in WCW, him and Cowboy Bill Watts. My whole thing started with just being, you know, I've been going, uh, George South trained me in Italian Stallion. Uh, yeah. So they were taking me to, to TV just to be an extra. And, and I got to work with a lot of people just being me and Mark Canterbury, you know. I, uh, so it was good, but uh, I really enjoyed that part of it. And uh, you there? Okay. Yep. Could you repeat that last part you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. No. The um, the idea of um, when you're in your prime of your career, were you uh, looking towards the future and you know knowing that eventually you're gonna you know move on from in ring competition? So were you thinking about you know your your savings and and what you ultimately wanted to do after you would end up retiring from the ring yeah and back to uh the first part of that i credit a lot of my success to my upbringing and hard work uh, that was always instilled in me uh in the beginning it was hard for me because i was shy as hell so really yeah, very, wow. very quiet. So it was, uh, it took me a little bit of time, you know, with George and Stal. And then after I started working more in the ring with them, then I got more confidence, you know, and, and George, hell, he's, George could have a 30 minute match with a broomstick and it would be entertaining. So, but I credit a lot to them too. Uh, Jordan style and and just being able to listen and absorb and put it to my advantage, you know, put it to good use. Um, in uh, like growing up or in high school, um, were sports a real big factor in your life? Yeah, from literally, I started playing baseball when I was eight. Played football when I was six and played all through high school, both sports. And then in my ninth grade, I started wrestling. So, and I was in Northern Virginia and my junior year, I went to the regionals, made it all the way to the regionals. And uh, then we moved to West Virginia and West Virginia down here, there, it was a little school and they didn't even know what wrestling was. So. But yeah, uh, it was always, and, and I was being recruited to Virginia Tech and WVU. I was going back and forth and ended up going in the Marines. And I got out, was started farming and working at a hospital. And uh, then I met George and Stow, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny how that stuff works. And I think I, First of all, thank you for your service. Um, you know, being a Marine is 
such a, a, a wonderful experience in terms of what you can get out of it and bring to your life after the Marines. Um, do you think that having that type of experience, a little bit of life experience before you were uh, cosmically, you know, put into wrestling, do you think that might have helped a little bit? Because I think a lot of times now kids um, think about, you know, the fame or, you know, how to get themselves over, but are not used to, you know, taking direction or, you know, having a regiment to keep themselves in like good shape. And, you know, how much of that experience from life before wrestling translated to you having a successful career? I think a lot because, I mean, life can be controversial. It can be tough. And trust me, I know all about it. And, uh, <laughs> but just, I worked on, before I got into wrestling, I worked as a nursing assistant. I, I had to do all the codes, and we were all got called to the codes in the hospital. I helped do two autopsies. Uh, I worked on the psych floor for almost three years. So wow, I learned a lot. <laughs> learned a lot, and then on top of working at the hospital, me and my dad had you know a 125 acre farm. We're farming, so. I didn't have no downtime. So that's what set me up for wrestling because when you're in that regimen, there ain't no damn downtime. I mean, like you say, you you get done at, you get out of there sometimes 10 on TV, 10 or 11, even in house shows, you know, you go and you shower and you go down to the bar and you eat and drink and then you might get three hours sleep and you're either hitting the airport or you're hitting your rent a car and hitting the road. So that uh, just, I mean, just it all intertwined together. So it, it does, it does help you prepare for stuff when you've been through a lot. Right. Um, With that regarding like travel um, was, who was your, basically your wheel man who is the the go-to driver um and um who who were the ones lucky enough to not have to drive and be able to uh have a couple uh cold ones on the uh on the trip <laughs> a couple of cold spaces yeah uh that would be yoko rakishi godfather drove some but me Taker and Paul Bear did all the driving because I drove Yoko a lot. You know, me and he would ride with me in Tex, and then sometimes Fatu Rikishi would ride with us. But we rode with Yoko a lot. And uh, before Phineas come up, I always rode with Taker and Paul Bear. So they drove a lot. I I stepped in some, but you know, uh, but that was usually the three wheel men out of that crew was me and Taker and Paul Bear. You know, speaking of uh, a guy like uh, Yoko, a guy like Paul, you know, guys that have, have passed away. Um, what, what was it about those two guys that a fit into um, the group dynamic 
And B, what is it that you miss most about those guys not being around now? Mm. Both of them, their smile and their just they're genuine, just great people. I mean, we used to go to I would go home with Yoko if we were out that way and we finished the tour, I would go home with him and stay all weekend, you know, and uh and then Phineas started coming and we were doing all this Samoan food. I mean, a uh, turkey, turkey tail and <laughs> rice and just all kinds of chicken and sauces and oh. and Paul Harris, same thing. You know, went home, we went by his house one time and ate and uh, just, you know, Paul was just a big hillbilly from Alabama, you know, just silly. And, but Yoko, yeah, they, they both, did a lot for us. You know, Yoko is the one that started the BSK. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, they're sadly missed. When you, when you think about, um, Yoko Rikishi and, um, the Samoan heritage, obviously it's very rich, um, through their bloodlines. Um, what was, you know, what are, what are some, or, or what was something that, you uh, didn't know about Samoan culture that you quickly learned from knowing those guys? Oh, just they embrace you. I mean, uh, if you don't feel comfortable around them, something's wrong with you (laughs) because they're proud, very proud people and strong people. Uh, Just like Barbarian, when I was in WCW, I went home with Barbarian one weekend in Charlotte. Mama took care of us. I fed, I, there was a spread of food that would have fed a small army. But, uh, yeah, just proud people and generous. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, I was I was lucky enough um, when Starcast was out here uh, in Vegas in 2019. Rikishi was here and. Um, uh, got to meet his dad who recently has passed away this year. And it was just amazing to, you know, to, to see how much family means to, you know, everyone in that bloodline. And it's, it's just amazing that in wrestling, you have their bloodline, you have the hearts, you have um, the Von Erics, you have such a, a family oriented groups um did you guys as bsk was that almost then becoming you know kind of your own blended family um by spending so much time with each other and just you know doing everything essentially you know for a big portion of your guys lives together did that kind of twine you as family very much so i mean i think all of us got the BSK tattoos now. You know, I got two. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, we've all been through a lot together. Uh, sure. Taker, we, we just all hit it off. And it's not that we were just a bunch of badass. We helped each other in our careers. We supported each other. So, and that, that was the way the click was, you know, they, 
get in a room and they'd talk about their stuff. Well, we'd get in a room, we'd talk about our stuff. Yeah. There was never no, no heat between like people think, you know, the click and the BSK. It was just two different groups of buddies that hung out more. And, you know, I, I've been to, I've been, stayed, we stayed with Sean in doubt in, uh, at his house. Uh, stayed with Kevin before Taker. So, and, and our group was very diverse. You know, we had, uh, hillbillies, rednecks, blacks, Samoans, Asians, <laughs> uh, Puerto Ricans. And, <laughs> you know, we were, we were a tight group. And like I said, at survivor series. I would, Take a bullet for any of them, boys. Um, speaking of bullets, and you said you, you'd been to Sean's place. Have you uh, ever gone hunting with Sean? No, we've talked about it, but, man, that would be fun. But we've never got to do that, you know. And, but we we like some of the same stuff. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that is one of the fascinating things. And I think that when – you only see characters on TV that what, you know, uh, uh, now it's a little more blurred because of social media and how much access is, you know, allowed um, into a person's life. But, you know, fans really didn't understand the fact that, Hey, you know, when you're not on camera, you're not that character per se you're you're a regular guy and you and there are people that you hang out with and i think that a lot of that misconception of heat between the click and bsk comes from that idea of oh well obviously they can't like each other because you know sean's a flamboyant guy and obviously you know the godwins would kick the shit out of him because you know he's this pretty boy is is that fascinating to you that you were part of that last generation, essentially, of guys who could kayfabe and yet behind the scenes still, you know, be able to talk about the things that, you know, you guys had in common, uh, even though you might not have hung out all the time? Yeah, I mean... It was just a, it was a good group back then, you know, uh, and, and I think the times have changed. The business has changed. The boys have changed. Uh, but back then we, we could really keep, keep it real as far yeah. as shows, TV, but we could correspond with each other backstage or away from whatever, you know? And right. So we, it was, uh, it was a good learning experience and just, it was a great time for wrestling. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, along those lines, what was it like for, um, for you when you would catch wind of um, some of the stuff that would get out there, like, you know, Meltzer, you know, being a quote unquote journalist, um, would, would that frustrate you guys when, you know, you catch wind of stuff that people were saying who they weren't directly back there. They don't know the knowledge of the conversations of, you know, the plans, etc. Was that 
you know, an issue for you guys, because obviously it's way different now. Um, how did you look at those people who, you know, were the start of this, you know, uh, almost TMZ style of reporting for wrestling? Fake news, fake news. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that was, it was, uh, it bothered some people, but, you know, we just finally just, like the, some of the boys would get the, the shit sheets, Meltzer shit sheets, you know. And, you know, then you just finally realize half of it's you can't believe. And, and then you say, well, shit, that's, that's not true. That's not going on. But, yeah, it's fake news. You know, building upon your reputation of being a tough guy, um, and, of course, there's you now been dark side of the ring covering the brawl for all. Um, you know, in, when you look at BSK and you guys were, and, pr- and probably honestly still are some of the toughest sons of bitches, I would not want to get in a fight with you guys <laughs> nowadays either. Um, you know, was that a, a reputation that was brought on just by, your prior experiences in your life, your stories, stuff that, you know, obviously you could have receipts in the ring and you can, you know, you can do what's needed to protect, protect yourself in the ring as well. But, you know, when you start blurring then and bringing in stuff like a competition, that's supposed to be, you know, a, a legit competition. How do you manage that? Here you are, you've played this character for the longest of time and they were kind of transitioning you guys a little bit too. And then the sprawl for all comes along and, um, you know, seemingly does kind of throw a wrench into a number of guys careers from that point on. Was that something that you look back and you go, man, that wasn't a great idea because it kind of cut some of the potential that was there for, for guys just ended their careers essentially. Yeah, that was a freaking horrible idea because most of us are just brawlers and wrestlers, you know, we're not technical. Yeah. So, um, and it did, it did hurt a lot of good people got knocked out and, you know, were messed up for a little while and yeah. something like that, getting jolted like that and hitting your head and hitting the ground and uh, like Bradshaw, I mean, them boys felt that for a few days. And, uh, but it, it was, you know, we're, I think it took away from everybody. You know, I just had, I just had surgery on my sinus surgery two months before that. So I didn't really want to do it, but hell, I let him talk me into it. And, you know, me and Bradshaw traded punch. His nose was bleeding, and he popped me there. And I did. You know, I this was numb in uh, for about six weeks. Wow. So I didn't know if I'd mess something up, but it finally got better. But you know, Doctor Death, they were thinking he was going to win. He was supposed to win, and then Bart was putting people down on the freaking ground. And you know, Bart won the whole thing and won that money, 
but his career was the shit after that. So it, it ruined his career. And, and Bart's a great guy, strong as hell. You know, him and Billy were great together. Yeah. Same, yeah. Threw a big dirty wrench into everything, I think. It took away from wrestling. Well, and, and also it was, you know, I think to, to top it off for Bart, the messed up thing was, hey, now we're going to put you in WrestleMania out of all the, you know, choices of pay-per-views against Butterbean, who is a trained and competitive guy in this field. You know, wow. You basically said, hey, here's your death warrant. Go on in. Yeah. It, it made no sense to me. Um, with that, though, uh, if you look at some of the guys like Dr. Death, like Bradshaw, um, it, it, the BSK guys, who's who was the toughest guy that you were around during your career? Oh... Well, the ones that come to mind real quick are Barbarian and Haku. <laughs> uh, Taker, I'd say, would probably be pretty tough when it comes down to it. Wow. You know, it's always it's always the quiet guys you gotta watch out for. <laughs> well, you know what, and that maintains the whole idea of respect. I think. You know, if if you're a vocal guy, people kind of look at you as an agitator a lot of times. But if you're a quiet guy, now people kind of respect you because they don't know what you can do. And I think that's a great point. Um, when you think of that relationship you had uh, formed with Taker back then, what was the initial thing that drew you two together? Uh, well, when I first started... I had a match. I finally, after a few months, I had a match with Taker. And I, th I think this was right before me and Hunter did our thing. The okay. you know, whole six months and the hog pin match. But I had it, and you can pull it up. It was a good match. Me and Taker had a match. I think it was on Raw, but it was, we, it was a TV match. And I'm telling you, we beat the piss. He gave me a lot. We beat the piss out of each other. And when we got back backstage after the match, he said, you know, damn, he really enjoyed that. He goes, we're going to do something else together. And then it seemed like within the next little bit, we were hanging out, and I was riding with him and Paul Bear. I'm like, damn, this is pretty damn cool. So, <clears throat> But we're a lot alike. I, I think some of the boys are in our crew, you know, some of us are quiet and, and takers generous and got a big heart and will listen and steer you in the right direction. So, and I'm a year older than him and oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Uh, shit. Yeah, I'm there. You got me? Yeah. Something happened. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know. I heard noise, and then I don't know. Um, but we're good. We're good. Um, so let me ask you, um, when you think of someone like Savio, 
how did Savio fit into everyone's mix? He was, he come along about halfway through the BSK, but he, he just started hanging around us and, uh, Savio is a sweetheart too. He's yeah. great. He is awesome. And, uh, yeah, he just, he fit in. It was perfect. So I, I mean, when I hear all this racist stuff and everybody's a racist and I, you know, kill Whitey, it's just, I go back and I think of the times I had with these guys, you know, all different cultures, different backgrounds, but yet we were all like that. So it, it's almost comical, but, uh, yeah, I cherish, cherish that time with them boys. Um, when you were in WCW, what uh, and and I did uh, when you said the uh, that you keep your artifacts and stuff. I did see the picture. Uh, I think that was yesterday or the day before of you with the uh, the tote bags, one the WWF one and the WCW one. Uh, for you and and being younger in your career, kind of a little bit of a greenness to it. What was WCW like at that time? Because it seems like what a lot of people forget in the history of what was created for this Monday Night War sense is that people don't realize that at that point in WCW, they ended up letting all of you guys end up walking away, essentially, or, or cutting you or... You know, they had what would have been the foundation for the greatest wrestling company ever. And could you see just how that organization was run? Was it was it literally um, the the downfall of it being that television executives were trying to run a wrestling company? Exactly. Yeah, it was people that knew nothing about wrestling. I mean, they were smart and had lots of money, but that don't mean you're going to be successful. And uh, it was, I think back then the fans were uh, getting a little fed up with WCW from what our feedback, uh, they were bringing all the old guys back. You know, Flair had just come back. I, I mean, I love all them guys. And Arn, Arn even said, you guys need to go up north. He said, you all are too good at making other people look good. And you're not, you're not benefiting from it yourself. Yeah. So I always think of Arn and, and stuff like that. And uh, we just – we had a better opportunity, you know, uh, up there. And uh, Vince was sort of going with younger guys. He was pushing different talent. Where WCW, you know, I was there with Sting and Flair and everybody, and it wasn't drawn right then. Yeah. You know, the way you would think. But, you know, Vince was doing pretty good, and he was pushing new guys. Yeah. So I was glad the opportunity to go up there and do that. I mean, it was better for me. And then, you know, Phineas come up and – and who put a good word in for me when I we got let go was Kevin Nash and Harley Race. We oh, talked yeah. to JJ Dillon. And so four weeks after I got let go, I flew to, to uh, Connecticut and 
met with J.J. Dillon and Vince in his little kayfabe office back there. And you know, he asked me what I did, and that's that's how we got on the Henry Goward. He, I, he goes, well, what do you like to do? What do you, what do you, what do you do? What's your profession before? I said, well, I worked at a hospital on a psych floor. He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, we have a, we have a farm and, uh, you know, raise hogs and cows. He, he goes, you raise hogs. Uh, what do you do with the hogs? I said, well, you know, feed them, slop them, ring them, put rings in their noses and castrate the males and, you know, we do all that kind of, he goes, Hmm, I like that. So, uh, they drew, drew me up and he goes, so what do you carry the slop in? Just a, a bucket? And I said, yeah, just keep a pail and fill it up and throw it into the hogs. So that's how all that started. And, uh, always, you know, he, he wanted uh, my initials to be H O G. So he called me Henry. And I got some of his family, I don't know if his, his granddad or uncle or something, but their name was Orpheus. So that's where I got the Orpheus Godwin hog from Vincent's family. <laughs> and of course, Dennis was Phineas I. Godwin. His initials were pig. pig. So I give him Ike. His name was Phineas Ike Godwin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Uh, and, and to think that <laughs> if Vince didn't pick up in his ear, the hog farmer, you could have been like a, a registered male nurse <laughs> character. Yeah. That would have been scary. Here comes the registered RN. <laughs> the male RN. <laughs> Oh God! And he and, and he would call it like like Roger, uh, you know, Neurolodge or something. You know, it it would yeah. be RN. <laughs> um, hey, you know, speaking of that, and thinking of a, a certain dentist uh, when uh, Glenn Jacobs was, you know, portraying um, the Isaac Yankum character, and you know, uh, kind of coming along. Do you remember when? he was first coming up and did you work with him uh, in Smoky Mountain at uh, any point during that time? No, but I was living, we had moved from West Virginia to Pigeon Forge, okay. Tennessee, Gatlinburg, down that area. And they were running shows down there because that's where Cornette was from, like 30 minutes from me. So I did go to one of their shows in Pigeon Forge and I seen Glenn there, but I never met him or I think I met him, but I never worked him or never seen him again till we were both up, up North with Vance. And was he, was he also, when he kind of came in, um, I know one of the things that I've always gotten from other guys is that he was one of those guys that people looked at for like, you know, fitness, nutrition tips. And he, he seemed to basically rise quickly in terms of the respect backstage. Did he fit into that mold of the BSK guys or was he kind of on his own for a little bit before he kind of started finding his footing? Yeah, he was, <laughs> he, 
He was sort of, yeah, he wasn't BSK material. His heart was, but. <laughs> yeah, I understand. His kidness wasn't. <laughs> uh, but great guy. Me and him lived uh, maybe 30 minutes from each other in Tennessee. So we flew out of Knoxville together all the time. Sure. And then, of course, I worked him. We did it. We were on the road together for like a week. And when he was Isaac Yankin, when he first come in, because Phineas hadn't come up yet. Right. Uh, and then, of course, Survivor Series with Taker, when he wore the Phantom mask, it was myself, Savio, Fatu, and Taker against Isaac Yankum, Hunter, Lawler, and Mabel. Yeah, I think it was Mabel. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You, you, you just, <laughs> isn't it? It's spectacular when you think about, you know, just a match like that where at that time, I don't think the, you know, the fans can't see because you're in the moment. You can't see the greatness that is represented, which will, you know, go on to be some of the most talented guys that wrestling has ever seen. Did you ever feel like you were um, in a moment around, you know, some of these guys where you're going, man, that guy is, you know, when you talk about someone who's going to be talked about as legendary, did that resonate with you? Or was it something that you just didn't even notice yourself because you're in the moment? I guess, in the moment, yeah, you don't think about it, but it's when you get back to the hotel and, and you're in your room, then you start thinking, damn, I was in, was just in Survivor Series with freaking Undertaker and Lawler. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that was I think that was the first uh, four-man, and it was all BSK in there. Yeah. At the time, we were BSK, so it was pretty cool. I think of that a lot. So, yeah. Uh, you know, when you looked at uh, the guys like Yoko, um, like Sean, like Brett, at that time, uh, Diesel even, um, where the, the championship belt was going, and you obviously, as the Godwins, you guys had some nice runs um, with the tag belts and, you know, some good storylines with, like, the smoking guns and Sonny. Mm-hmm. Did you ever potentially see yourself um, when that tag team would end, you know, in your mind, did you see yourself potentially having a shot at being a marketable singles competitor again? Um, Obviously you were singles before Phineas came up. So did you think ever that you'd see potential of at least contending for the championship um, and maybe getting a little, you know, bigger contract or bigger marketing presence so that you could, you know, eventually, uh, you know, say that you hit the top of the peak um, in the WWF. Yeah. You know, I was there for a year without Phineas. Right. And it was different because, I mean, we were together, you know, in WCW for a little over two years. So, we had built this thing together. So when I went up there, I was almost lost a little in the beginning. Sure. And, but then after I 
you know, started having more matches and working with Hunter, you know, me and him was both hungry and at the same time. So it was, it was easy. Our chemistry was so much fun. It was easy. And we both, you know, wanted it, wanted like our match to be the best. And, and Vince said, you know, here's how much time we have. You guys figure it out. So it was a little scary for both of us, but, you know, Vince, Vince was pleased with yeah. what we come up with. I always tell people this. I think the boys were, and even the fans were thinking it was going to be this big ha-ha match. Right. But, you know, I was beat up, and Hunter got 15 stitches in his back, you know, and uh, so I, always, I can always tell him I scarred him for life. But just to put together that kind of a match, and that was all me and Hunter, you know. And then when you get back and you're covered in pig shit and mud, you know, Hunter's bleed, pouring blood, his back's gashed open. We're all scared he's going to get some kind of weird swine disease. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're, we're, we, are covered in this stuff and walk by Vince's office and he pulls us in there, you know, we're dripping shit. And he goes, y'all had the bet. Y'all are going to have the best match. He said, I can't believe that match. It was, it was great. So to hear Vince tell you that it was satisfying. Yeah. It's, it's amazing too. Um, I think you're, you're, your projection of, you know, the, the perception of what it was going to be and the reality um, down to the, the fact that one of the things that I love about that particular match and, and Hunter obviously would go on to show that he's one of the best ever. And that is man, when he sold, when he was in that pen, it was, I mean, it was ridiculous. It was so good. That you believed, it's like you, you take this concept and you go, ah, that's going to be hooked. And then all of a sudden, by the end, when you guys are walking away, it had, I think everyone just like hooked, like, oh my God, this was one of the best matches I've ever seen. And then my second thought is, I hope they don't ever try to recreate this. Because, yeah. you know, <laughs> they oh, always... Pretty <laughs> I almost would uh, take three or four Advil and try to do that match again with him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, listen, Hunter's probably still, you know, he's in good shape. He's still ready. Maybe uh, it's time for uh, like a NXT CEO uh, match, a hog pen match uh, for you taking control of NXT. See? Yeah, Always book up. I <laughs> see. One thing that's still out there is Vince never got slopped. So that's still on the team. <laughs> Man, I, I, you know, it's so funny sometimes when you think about all the stuff that he's allowed, you know, him and his family especially to go through, but he always tends to protect himself in that manner. And boy, it would be fun to see, uh, you know, an, a Vince retirement party where he ends up <laughs> slopped would be spectacular. Uh, you know, speaking of 
like Vince and um, the backstage guys, how important were guys like Tony Gurria and Pat Patterson and uh, Gerald Briscoe to you guys um, when you guys are, you know, looking for inspiration or direction for the matches that you guys were putting together? God, who better to ask than Pat or Jerry or Blackjack, you know, Tony. Yeah. And, and we're all uh, good guys and very respectful. And, and they were, they were there for us. They were there for the boys. So I don't know if you ever seen that picture of all of us on that bus in Germany. Yeah. And Briscoe's a big cigar. <laughs> That was yeah. all that night. He he was ready, and so we we poured it to him. <laughs> we had the jack and everything going around there. But that was, I mean, what? There was only like four of them pictures, four or five of them pictures for years, and I had one of them, and I think Sean had one, and Taker and Tex. And then the other boys started getting them, but then somebody sl- slipped up and put it on. Yeah. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. But what a night that was. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, that brings me to an interesting question that I've always had. Um, who primarily was on the road with you guys in terms of the house shows uh, in in being the road agent or basically the li- liaison between the office and what was going on in the house shows was that Frisco or who who was usually on those trips? Frisco was on a lot of them. Oh man, I can't. Tony was on some like the international stuff. Sure. And then Hebner, Hebner yeah. was doing a lot of that. Oh, I can't remember that one guy. Oh, I can't remember his name. But, uh, yeah, we had a good crew of agents back then, you know, and, and they were for the boys, too. They looked out for us. I mean, we had to sort of police our own back then. So sure. the agents, and they were all former superstars, too. So, you know, it made it easier for us and. Just a great time. Good guys. You know, speaking of policing yourselves, um, it's always been the stories or the the um, the embellishments of the kangaroo courts. Um, was it true that, you know, if things need to get it settled, that Taker was the guy that the uh, issues were brought in front of? Yeah, he was... He was definitely the judge. And then, you know, but you had uh, Kevin and, and all, the, all the top guys sort of gravitated to the center of the room, but Taker was just a little bit up here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking of that idea of, you know, having a guy like that, that looked at like that, knowing that you were a part of that were other guys who came into the company um, when they saw the structure of the different groups, were people ever intimidated by you being a part of BSK or 
were people comfortable in, you know, talking to you and trying to figure out, you know, what I can do to better myself or what we can do to do better business together? Uh, yeah, it wasn't like, uh, like I said, people were mean or, or acting like badasses. Of course, me and Phineas, we got along with everybody. Paul Bates always said, if you two aren't in the locker room, it's a shitty locker room. So we always kept everybody entertained and kept the new guys, made them feel comfortable. So it just sort of gravitated, you know? Um, and for the time, you know, you, you had a, a very brief um, stint, I think it was around 2007 when you were coming back um, what happened with that situation in terms of, you know, it not panning out to be a full-fledged uh, comeback and return on TV? Yeah, I just, I wasn't in good shape. Uh, you know, I'd lost my son and yeah. broke my neck and uh, just in a dark place at that time. It just yeah. didn't work out. And, and things had changed, you know, that was 06, 07. I think it was the end of 06 into 07 there a few months, but yeah, I could already tell a big difference and it yeah. wasn't the same to me. So, uh, I just let it go. In that, in that regard too, did you have, um, you know, some of the guys have a real hard time taking, their next step in life did you have a hard time initially um you know just getting away from the business and moving on and finding other things that you wanted to do in your life um and i i know like you said you know you lost your son um which was a tragic accident um is that something where you go through those types of things and you realize that there are, you know, bigger things in life than just, you know, doing this job. There's other things that I want to accomplish and I want to, you know, be able to do because life is so short. Yeah. It, it was hard at first with the wrestling, leaving it. And, uh, but it also felt good when I went, when I, Vince goes, when I met Vince, in 06. And he says, you ready to come back? He says, I missed that hundred thousand dollar smile of yours. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was good to come back, but you know, like I said, things have changed and, uh, I got to coach my boys for a little bit after I come off the road football. So yeah, that was satisfying too, but, uh, yeah, it, it's actually gotten harder here lately because I know I can't do what I used, used to be able to do, but right. uh, I like doing the signings cause I get to see the guys and, you know, see some of the fans from way back when, I mean, we're going, me and Phineas is going to New York or flying into Newark. Okay. Uh, August 28th, I think. And we got a, a signing there. So that'll be a good time. And, Looking forward to that. Are you are you surprised in any way? And again, I the network has really 
you know, given the opportunity for um, the younger generations to see what, you know, their parents watched uh, when they were growing up. Uh, are you still surprised when, you know, these younger kids are coming up and, you know, get a chance to meet someone that they've been watching since they were a little kid and that they're parents have been talking about since you know they were little oh yeah i mean i mean just like me when i started i'm like god i'm watching dusty Rhodes says this high and, and now he's talking to me offering me a job <laughs> but i you know, like we were very we just we were quiet we listened uh we didn't spout off you know uh and I think it benefited us. It, yeah. Be respectful to somebody. They're going to respect you back. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's the way I, I go to all the boys, you know, and uh, if they don't respect me back, then we just, <laughs> I don't, I don't respect you. So <laughs> it's just you know, be a good guy. <laughs> um, as we wrap up here, um, what brand of beer is your favorite go-to uh, beer? Oh, now that I'm older, probably Mick Ultra. Yeah. Yeah. Boring. <laughs> but you know, you know what? It does, it does the job. <laughs> A nice cold yeah. one in the fridge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hold on. Let me show you something real quick. If you yeah. got a sec. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'll show you a good go-to. <laughs> Mountain Dew. <laughs> do you? So uh, that's a good. Thing. Yeah. Do, do, uh, my uh, my family, uh, my dad's side is from Serbia. And what our, you know, our tradition, Ser Serbia. So the, the okay. former okay. Yugoslavia. And yeah. so the family, uh, you know, the families over there, the tradition is they um, make this plum brandy called Shlivovitz. And it's like, it's like moonshine because it's pure, you know, the purest alcohol you can get. And you take yeah, a couple yeah. sips of that and you are, you're, you're happy the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, Flying high. <laughs> that's awesome. That is amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, when you, when you think about, you know, just having the life you have now, does it really just kind of kind of tie a nice little bow and, make you realize, you know, Hey, everything worked out in life pretty nicely. Um, you know, but considering that there have been so many, you know, different people who you've known, who've unfortunately passed away under one circumstance or another. And, um, all the punches that life has thrown you as well. Uh, do do you look at the point in your life and go, I, really do enjoy where I'm at now. So much. I enjoy it so much. Uh, because I still get to be involved a little in the wrestling yeah. aspect of it. But 
being here in the mountains and, you know, raising my own, some of my own food, killing my own food. Uh, it's, uh, it's a payoff. It's like hitting a lottery to me. So it's, it's been nice. And I, I love country living, you know, it's the way I was brought up and you don't get no better than that. But what I was going to tell you is yep. we were planning a trip out to hang with Godfather. Oh. <laughs> and me and my wife and Shane, my son, and his wife. So we're planning on coming out. So we might have to hook up. Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, I will, uh, and I'll, I'll let me uh, let me do a quick. Let me do this so I can I can let my uh, my producer who's going to uh, edit this. Um, I'll, I'll give him an ending here, and then we'll talk um, so I can put it off record. Um, so, in 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 uh, finally, uh, getting to the final question, uh, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you so they can see what you're doing nowadays? Uh, I'm Instagram. Henry, just Henry Godwin. And then Facebook, it's Mark and Tracy Canterbury. Perfect. Awesome. And anyone who, if you don't know the work that Mark put in, if you don't know the Henry O. Godwin character, please go to the network, look it up, watch some of the stuff. Uh, because there is, I think that sometimes when you are a big guy in the wrestling business, what people don't understand is that they look at the smaller guys as the good workers, but you were one of the best workers in the business. And boy, you know, you made so many people elevate and look great. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that what you brought to the business is one of my favorite, you know, things to be able to go, I, I really enjoy watching your matches because I know that what I'm watching is just some solid, good, pure work and pure fun. Because you could tell you were having fun out there. Yeah. So I really... One of, the funnest, yeah. one of the funnest matches, real quick, in yeah. WCW was Beach Blast against Marcus Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. If you want to see a good lay-in match, watch yeah. that match. Absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Highly recommend that match. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's and that's young Marcus Bagwell, too. So, yeah. He was still... Marcus Bagwell, then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time. Biggest bad boys of podcasting.